Typically in an organization, you've got your vertical structures. So you've got a, a chief who is over a, a division, who's over it. So you've got a vertical authority structure, and that's important. You need that. Brand should not be vertical. Brand should be lateral. Brand mm-hmm. should be something that everybody takes responsibility for, is an owner of, has a piece of, and brand is a lateral conversation that cuts across the entire organization. Breakthrough is horizontal, not, not vertical. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world, helping you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence with tips and tools you didn't get in business school. Here are your hosts, Trisha Shortino and Lisa Zeveld. Welcome to the One Next Step, guys, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm Trisha, and today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, company culture. And joining us today, we have Ted Vaughn. Ted is the co-author of the fabulous book, Culture Built My Brand. He's also the co-founder of Historic Agency, a brand strategy, innovation, and design partner that helps ambitious brands do more good. And I'm so excited he's joining us today on the podcast to talk about how company culture can build your brand. So let's get started. Welcome, Ted. Thank you. And Trisha, you nailed our agency's one-liner better than anybody ever has. So kudos for getting that. That's like a home run. I'm already incredibly optimistic about this this podcast. (laughs) Nice. I'm glad I could fulfill that need right out the gate. I mean, I didn't think it was hard, but apparently it's been, it's like a line people have stumbled over. So well, well done. Well, good. Okay. We're starting off on a high. (laughs) (laughs) So while we're we're starting off on the casual side of things, before we get started and dive into the conversation about your marquee culture method, which I'm excited to take, you know, detailed notes myself, we'd like to just start with an icebreaker. So my one for you is, is there one memorable or unique trip or vacation or something for you Mm. in your life that stands out as, you know, monumental, unique, different, or the best. What's that? So my my wife and I both have kind of lived away from our family centers. And uh, one one trip about four years ago, we did an international trip and decided to bring my mom with her Mm. husband and my mother-in-law, both of whom are very strong personalities. And um, getting to our initial destination, which was Rome, anything that could go wrong went wrong. We booked (gasps) the trip with multiple uh, record locators, if you know what that means in travel. Yeah, yeah. Because some were points, some were system-wide upgrades, some were classic, just pay for it. So all of these people traveling together, but not really together. And when the poop hits the fan, (laughs) nobody actually knows you're a group. So we ended up having like my mom and her husband going through, I think it was like Ireland to get to Rome. And then we had some going in. It was just a complete, if I could cuss on this show, I would say, you You can, you can. We encourage cussing. Oh, do you really? (laughs) Okay, well, I do. Just don't tell anybody else. It was a complete (laughs) shit show. And uh, I've never yeah. been more stressed. I was si- I got upgraded on a British Airways flight. I'm sitting in first class on British Airways. My wife and daughter did not. They let me go up to first. And I'm completely stressed about how I'm going to get all these people to all these places. And they're having to figure it out on their own. And But we all ended up 
having dinner in Rome together, and it was this incredible experience. And so many, I could write like a short story ar- around this trip, but that that trip probably will be the trip that stands out for so many different reasons. <laughs> yes, it sounds like it goes down in history. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I like it. I like it. I pride myself on travel efficiency. So when things are not efficient, much less this level of sideways drama, mm-hmm. it's I don't do well. I kind of shut down. Yeah, I um, I have pet peeves around travel, which is probably the worst area to have pet peeves around because it is so out of our control. I keep so saying like, I, I need, I want to open an airline company because I'm going to run one, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, traveling is, is never goes according to plan. It's extremely frustrating, but uh, I'm with you. So I usually get to my destination quietly perturbed, pissed off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess ending it with an awesome dinner or in Rome would, yeah. you know, ring, yeah. bring the vibe back around. That was helpful, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, thanks for sharing. Thanks for yeah. sharing. I love it. All right, so let's jump in and talk about your marquee culture method. First, can you just start off by... You know, just giving us an explanation of of what it is and dive into what its core principle is, really. Yeah. So, you know, the word marquee typically is seen as a permanent sign that's physically connected to a building. And often Mm -hmm. that sign in in history has been the brightest, most significant form of advertising, right? It communicates something about the theater. It typically matches the design. It communicates what's happening inside. It it is that prominent part of the building it's attached to. And we believe Mm -hmm. in marquee culture that your people are the same thing for your brand. Mm -hmm. The only question is whether you're intentional about shaping that sign or you just let it be what it is. And it's an unintentional marquee. We believe a marquee culture is a culture that is intentional about that bright, shining aspect of your brand. And you shape it and massage it and take care of it and are very intentional and not only intentional, but differentiated because not every marquee, not every culture should be the same. And I think too often Mm. we look at culture as healthy, unhealthy, good, bad. We have HR, we don't. It's a very utilitarian thing, and in the process, we miss a huge opportunity to accelerate our brand value and differentiation. Wow, I love that. You know, I didn't, I didn't really put together truly the definition of what marquee meant, and then associating that with the people inside the organization, not even just the brand itself. So. Um, it is so very true that an organization or a brand are it is the essential grouping of the people with which it represents. So I love that. And most people know that it's never a surprise like, wow, I never considered that. The question mm-hmm. isn't, do we understand it? The question is, what therefore do we do about it? And in the tradition of agency and brand, we've often divorced it from people. So we think Mm. about brand as all of these things and disciplines independent of people. People, company culture, that's HR, that's organizational culture, that's leadership development, that's executive coaching. And and the separation of these two disciplines, I think, has led to lack of integration in places that has 
in some ways prevented brands from accelerating as fast as other brands, like Southwest, like Patagonia, like Starbucks, like right. like brands that we all know get that right. Do it well. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So are there essential elements inside the methodology? Yeah, I mean, we in the book, you know, I think our second book is going to be How to Build a Marquee Culture. I think this was really mm -hmm. a book kind of introducing the concept of why mm -hmm. culture and brand are so intimately intertwined. I think I think our second book will really be about taking this to a whole new level of integration, going deep into each layer. But we unpack marquee culture as six layers, or you could say dimensions, right? They kind of touch one another and work together in a systemic way. And in the book, we go through and unpack those six layers. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll go through all six or as many as you would like me to go through. <laughs> yeah, maybe just list them out with a, with a sure. you know, a net out quick, like what each one represents. Yeah, I think that'd be sure. great shareable information nuggets. So these six layers are somewhat linear, but don't have to be linear, right? So the, the, these six are not like a start here, end here, but just more. Here are six layers of culture that when thought about and intentionally designed really do result in a marquee culture. Layer number one is principles. Principles are essentially the... Um, intentional behaviors that shape culture. I think often mm -hmm. businesses, brands have values. Enron, great example of values mm -hmm. that did nothing to shape behavior. So right. Enron had values of integrity and many of their senior leaders are still in prison today for financial lack of integrity. So values, mm -hmm. I think, often become these esoteric, open-ended, abstract ideas that are often obvious and and or so blurry, nobody knows what to do. We believe mm. you need to have principles that shape behavior that answer the question, mm. how should we behave in light of who we are and want mm. to be aspirationally? So layer one yeah. principles. Layer two, architecture. Architecture is simply the structures that support your people. Um, we often will call it HR or people management, right? They're the, they're the people or the leaders that spend the most time addressing the architecture of any brand or company culture. We use uh, Frank Lloyd Wright as a great example of architecture and how we believe successful brands should embrace their internal structure and systems for people management. There should be intention of design. It, it shouldn't mm. just be good or bad, safe or unsafe. No architect ever said, well, it's a utilitarian thing, whatever. Who cares what it looks like? Mm. There's a lot of intention behind how design happens for an architect. We believe the same thing should happen with your hiring systems, your comp systems, mm. your supervision systems. All of those things can tie back to your brand differentiation and value prop. It's just a question of being intentional about it. Mm -hmm. uh, third layer we call rituals. Rituals are the experiences that energize and align your people. Um, every brand, every company has rituals. Often they mm -hmm. are top down like all staff meetings or mm -hmm. all staff scavenger hunts or all staff whatever or, you know, th those are helpful rituals, important to be considerate about. We believe the best rituals are those bottom-up organic experiences that your people do because they just so love your brand. In the book, a great example, one of our favorites is a JPL, um, you know, NASA, essentially. Um, these rocket scientists years ago started a pumpkin carving contest completely independent mm. of leadership. <laughs> your tax dollars are not paying for this. Mm. 
they get together and do pumpkin carving at a level beyond anything we could possibly understand. I mean, rocket scientists carving pumpkins in teams. Oh, pumpkins are flying. Man. Pumpkins are levitating. Pumpkins have, I mean, <laughs> there's all sorts of things happening with these pumpkins. And <laughs> and again, this is not a top-down, right. now we do the pumpkin contest. You know, this is not Orwellian. This is them mm. doing it. If they chose to stop doing it, it wouldn't happen anymore. It's completely outside mm-hmm. the bounds. But it is such a great example of a ritual that is born out mm-hmm. of a unique group of people in a unique mm-hmm. business or unique nonprofit. Mm. So I think that's a great example of a ritual. And we believe if you have people who are passionate, who are the right people onboarded into the right brand, there will be rituals and things they do that you want to celebrate, you want to point to mm-hmm. that will that will tell the story of your brand. The uh, fourth layer we call lore. Lore is or are the sticky stories that shape culture. Every brand has stories. Some are toxic and unhelpful. Many are positive. We talk about Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia's, his founding story and, you know, many of the things that he was passionate about and how those shape Patagonia's culture to this day. Lots of stories that circulate around Patagonia have been intentionally leveraged into their onboarding. Then there are negative stories, like when I worked for a nonprofit, hired onto the executive team and was told by other executive members, um, hey, Ted, you know, you're just a, a plane right away from losing your job. And I, I thought, well, oh, well, what does that's that a mean? Great story. Like, well, yeah. yeah, the guy, the guy that you're replacing was hired on a flight when the CEO sat next to him, and before the plane landed, he had been hired, and the person who was in the job was replaced, and you're now replacing that person. Oh. And I, it wasn't a plane ride, but it was a party where I met this person and was essentially hired before the party was oh. over. So, so now. Running through the hallways of this um, organization is this story that this essentially that says the CEO is very um, either irrational or impatient or is will, there's no loyalty. The minute there's somebody better, you're out the mm. door, and that says something Slip about the in. company, yeah. right? Yeah, so sure. I, I maybe ignorantly thought, oh, I think I'm going to share this with the CEO. I mean, I'm curious what he thinks mm-hmm. about it, right? So you know, ignorant Ted walks into a meeting and shares that with him, and and he says. I have never heard that. This story had been running through the hallways for five mm. years. And the CEO had never heard that story. So one of the themes in lore is this. Mm. The, the more senior you are in leadership, the more unaware or maybe delusional is the word, but the, the more <laughs> unaware you are of the actual perception and stories and things that run around the hallways of your brand. So if you're a leader in a large brand or a large organization, we have to figure out how to understand what the actual stories are, drag those into the daylight and address them, not let them create toxicity or create stories that are ultimately going to run the brand down. And we talk a lot. Yeah, good, about- bad or ugly, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think like it's it's hard for those maybe negative stories, if you will, to make their way up. Nobody probably has the courage to, <laughs> to bring that story to the CEO except you, Ted. <laughs> so, well, but yeah. that's often because of the power yeah. dynamic. We don't know yeah. how to build bridges across our power and actually behave and shape a culture that allows people to be honest. So yeah. 
they're going to tell the negative stories because it's interesting and funny and provocative, but they're going to do it in a way that perpetuates lack of health, lack of clarity, and allows that story to do damage. Two more layers of culture. Layer number five, vocabulary. In many ways, vocabulary is simply pulling from the other layers and creating intentional language. Vocabulary would be words that create worlds. A great example of that is Netflix. If you've ever uh, looked at Netflix's 126 slide deck on their culture or read the book by Reed Hastings, um, No Rules, Rules, killer book. Netflix is a great example of a brand with intentional vocabulary. They have phrases like the keeper test, like not hiring brilliant jerks. Um, talent mm. density has been taken to a whole new level of understanding and approach within Netflix. And all these phrases and words and terms create understanding, shape onboarding, shape mm. or their, their architecture very intentionally. And Starbucks has the same thing. You could argue, you know, there are a ton of terms that shape Starbucks culture and their mm -hmm. consumer brand. And then the last layer are artifacts. Artifacts are simply the physical manifestation of culture. So we look at artifacts in three categories. There are your physical environment. You know, we've worked with brands that have radically shifted their physical environments in light of Zoom and technology mm -hmm. and COVID and the future of work, which is obviously a hot topic. Many brands are taking that to all new levels, reshaping meetings, reshaping their physical environment because of this new reality, or actually old reality, but newly understood and adopted. Another artifact would be engagement tools. So we work with clients that will create branded decks of cards that will create unique sticky notes, mm -hmm. will create things that help in their facilitations, their sprints, their workshops. And third category would be reward or recognition. Disney has employee pins that become collector's items. We at Historic do face magnets for staff who have been with us for over 18 months. We create these really cool magnets of their face, laser nice. designed. It sounds nice. creepy, and it kind of is. I can show you one. This is our, <laughs> this is our creative director, Steve. And, um, nice. and and here's what's so awesome about these things. I come into my office and on my <laughs> magnet board or my fridge are faces of the people I work with. And that helps me remember them as people and think of them yeah. as something other than a commodity or an end to mm. a project or a, yeah. so, you know, it, we did Legos one year, you know, mm. I've got my Lego, I'm holding a large goblet of wine because I'm super into wine. We've done custom Legos for everyone. So these are, I think, ways that, again, you can, in a fun way, differentiate mm -hmm. through little artifacts that help keep your people on brand. I love it. Uh, thank you for running through all six of those. Yeah, that was um, a lot. Are we done? And giving great example. That was a lot. Yeah, you did great. That was fabulous. Yeah, Thanks. off the top of your head even. Yeah, those are uh, an amazing construction of great culture. So I'm glad we were able to kind of run through them. It's just a really great um, teaser for how, you know, I really do think everyone listening needs to go get your book so they can dive into the depths of <laughs> all the, all the uh, yeah, all the, all the six things you just mentioned. And our premise is not all six need to be owned at the same level. I, I think what we found sure. is, is pick two or three and start there. Like you, you may have values that are solid and you, you know, skip principles. 
you may have architecture. Maybe for you, it's looking at your lore. You you know there's all this toxic stuff mm-hmm. running around, and you need to figure out how to how to mine for it and and name it, address it, and mm-hmm. seed positive news stories. Maybe. But the point of the book is not do all six or here's a linear process. It's, sure. There's no cut and yeah. paste, right? There, we've found more and more as an agency, every brand is a unique amalgamation of context, culture, conviction, oftentimes in faith-based mm-hmm. brands, theology. All mm-hmm. of these things kind of work together to shape every nonprofit brand or for-profit brand in unique ways. And this book was written to, to provide options, not to provide some sort of cut-and-paste pathway, because it just doesn't exist. There's right, no like way Right, you have could. to have all six in order to be successful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if, so, well, two-part question. You know, first I would say, okay, so I think you answered, I was going to ask you, what's a great starting point for someone who is listening to this and feels, you know, compelled to really invest in culture for the organization? And I feel like maybe you just answered, you know, by, picking the one or two. I mean, first start by reading the book so you can get, you know, in-depth clarification on them, but yeah. picking one or two and don't try and dive into and all six of these things being integrated inside your organization at the same time. If you had to pick one, principles is probably the first layer. It's why we lead off with principles. And the reason it's so important is if you don't have values, you need them. If you are going to create values for your brand, make them as actionable Mm. and clear and differentiated as possible. Do not do, as Lencioni says, permission to play values, where you name something so stupid obvious that the assumption is that you had it before you named it. You don't need Mm. to say honesty because everybody assumes honesty until you prove otherwise. So why make that a value? Why take up? Mm -hmm. So, and if you do have values and perhaps they're abstract or they're blurry, but they're right, then do some corollary principles. Like we were, we're working with a healthcare brand right now, and part of our, our process is to help them take their values but then attach two to three very clear, sticky, actionable behaviors per mm. value so their people know what it means to actually model this value because if you're on mm. staff at this brand, you're a leader. doesn't matter what your pay grade is. doesn't matter what your role and function is. You're a leader and how you behave matters. So without violating HR protocol, let's make sure we're clear on expectations of behavior that tie back to our values. That's why Southwest typically doesn't sustain introverts who hate to talk on mic and don't like people right. because their culture is not that. It's, it's the opposite of that. And they're very intentional about that in their hiring, training, onboarding, supervising, coaching. Yep, the right people that fit the values. Yeah, well, that's a great place to start. So I know that anybody listening who's intrigued can can start there. And I know you mentioned this, you hit on this a little earlier in our conversation. You talked about, you know, how most people perceive culture as living within HR. It's an HR initiative and that our brand lives in marketing and that there is seemingly a disconnect between two of those things. What would you say about the reality of those two in a day-to-day really becoming more cohesive and function within an organization? Any advice or tips or you know, thought leadership in that area for uh, listeners today who feel like there is a disconnect? We don't think of it this way, but we should. What yeah. are your thoughts on, on that piece? So I think often we've thought about brand as something we have instead of something we are. And I I think if this book does anything well, it 
broadens people's understanding of brand so that they see culture and people and management and HR as a critical aspect of brand, perhaps even more critical than identity, logo, marketing strategy, messaging, Mm -hmm. product design. Brand, therefore, cannot be seen as one person's job. You can't have a chief brand officer because brand is too comprehensive. What I think is a great starting place isn't to restructure your organization and it's to have, you know, typically in an organization, you've got your vertical structures. Uh, so you've got a, a chief who is over a, a division who's over it. So you've got a vertical authority structure, and that's important. You need that. Brand should not be vertical. Brand should be lateral. Mm-hmm. Brand should be something that everybody takes responsibility for, is an owner of, has a piece of, and brand is a lateral conversation that cuts across the entire organization. Breakthrough is horizontal, not not vertical. And when we can all begin to understand how we contribute to brand, what brand is, you can start to see breakthrough because you see integration. And I think a practical way to start is by having a conversation about brand that brings key leaders into a room, unpacks mm-hmm. brand. We've got a philosophy of brand at Historic that brand is five pillars. The first pillar is culture, mm-hmm. second pillar, product or service, and then the rest of the pillars are in the book. Mm-hmm. Figure out how to assess those pillars quarterly by having the right leaders in the right room. That in and of itself can lead to breakthrough conversations about brand in ways that we didn't have before because we didn't think about brand cohesively. Yeah, no, I love that. We just had a, um, we're an all virtual organization, as you all know out there, we don't have a brick and mortar. So we have been, you know, one of those organizations who have been living and breathing on Zoom for many years long before we had a pandemic and and all the Mm -hmm. things going on. Um, But we do get together as an organization quarterly. And at our last meeting, which was just last month, to add commentary to what you're saying, you know, I kind of got up in front of the organization and really my belief truly is that Belay is who we are. You know, and the message really is, you know, for lack of sounding cheesy or corny, is, you know, you are Belay. Every person in this room, we collectively are Belay. And it's not the other way around. We are not part of Belay. We are the living, breathing culture (laughs) out there in the world representing the brand. And we are the brand advocate. And so that every every person in the room, to my point, is a belayer because we are we are the cohesive brand. And so I I love that. And and to see more companies kind of think that way, that the people are the drivers of the brand and the culture. And This book only becomes helpful if you have that mindset to begin with. Mm. If you don't have that mindset, then talking about lore and wait, what's an Mm -hmm. artifact again? And why? Mm -hmm. It's it's, because for most brands, they're not in triage, they're not dying of a cultural death. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about culture is if it's killing you, you probably don't know it until it's too late. So, This book is written for people that want to be proactive about their culture by seeing its critical role in brand. And when you get that right, you have breakthrough, whether it's breakthrough in a nonprofit by being on mission more effectively, or it's breakthrough in a product marketing, customer building, 
whatever the breakthrough looks like, this is this book's written more more for opportunity cost than triage. Yeah, well, and I think that if uh, you know the the state of employment these days. Mm-hmm really Mm -hmm. is such that the employee really wants to tie their work to great purpose and work for an Mm. organization where they have job satisfaction. More and more, that is becoming important to organizational success. And we've seen it. I've seen other organizations either, you know, soar or flounder because of employee satisfaction. So I think, you know, the more we are focused on our team being connected and enjoying great culture that they feel connected to, you know, organizationally as a CEO of an organization, I mean, I see that literally hit the numbers, you know, great satisfied employees that are in the right place on the right seat on the right bus, totally aligned with what you're trying to do and live and breathe your culture are the absolute best team members. Um, If you can keep those people by having an organization that's focused on people loving what they do while they're there for you 40 hours a week, then you've done great work and your organization will will also see the benefits of those things. Yeah, and, and I think to your point, there are massive shifts happening generationally that this book, without intending to speak to Generation Mm. Z, if you embrace these layers and take things like your physical environment, like Mm -hmm. your lore, by allowing honesty to shine in places that you typically didn't, if you begin to address what it means to be partners, all of us are Mm -hmm. brand ambassadors. All of these things speak very, very, very cogently to you know, millennials and Gen Z. Oh, yes. They love it. Yeah. Get and, with and it. There's yeah. too much of this uh, narrative and rhetoric that is like critical of millennials and Gen Z. And I think it's often just Gen X and boomers uh, hiding behind a fortress of fear that we're growing um, less significant and mm-hmm. we don't know how to manage change. So we critique it instead of embracing the values that, that that generation and future generations bring. And when you throw into that the pace of change and how rapidly mm-hmm. things shift, it, it becomes really important the older you are to be young-minded and to be a lifelong learner. Because if you're not, it just becomes too hard to keep up and you just get critical instead of embracing what's new. Yes. Uh, Listen, I'm all on board with being young-minded. So thank you, Ted. This has been awesome. How can our listeners connect with you? What's a a great way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so we created a a landing page for uh, the book, uh, not a landing page, but a website, culturebuiltmybrand.com. We've got tools that are available, free downloads, historicagency.com. Okay. Our agency. Uh, awesome. And then my personal is at Ted Vaughn, T-E-D-V-A-U-G-H-N, across all of the uh, the interwebs. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Ted, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, and actually, I would love it if you wouldn't mind hanging around a little longer after the interview to answer one more question about how some of these methods could work for a real small business or entrepreneurs just getting started. Love um, it. Yes, thank you. Guys, you don't want to miss it. To hear the clip, subscribe to our email list and we will send you a link to our bonus content or visit onenextsteppodcast.com where you can find a link in our show notes. Thanks, guys. 
right. I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoyed that conversation with Ted. We at Belay love and live and die off of our culture, but I actually learned a thing or two. So I'm looking forward to reading his book. And as always, we have a one next step for you to take. And this week, Ted is giving you access to the first chapter of the book, Culture Built My Brand. So you can take a quick sneak peek and start winning more customers and aligning your brand. So until next time, guys, own your journey and join us next week for more practical tips and actionable tools to advance your business one step at a time. Next week, we'll be joined by the CEO of Best Money Moves, Elise Glink. She's an expert, hear me guys, expert on financial wellness programs in the workplace. And she'll be chatting with us about how they can benefit both your team and your organization. Here's a quick preview. You know, if you're looking for information on how to buy a car and how to finance that car, the last thing you need is somebody telling you how to get a better credit card. Those two things don't mean anything to each other. And it's not going to help you do either of the things you want to do better. And so what we're trying to do is provide the context for making these better decisions. And then when you are ready to look for a loan, give you a place where you can get a best-in-class loan offer. Thanks for listening to One Next Step. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Then join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com.